Okay, so we're continuing on um, with the series today uh, on the prophecy. Uh, but before I get to that part, some of you may have noticed, I know some of you spoke to Victoria, uh, but this past week, the week that has just passed, uh, Svetlana, Victoria, Victoria's mom, passed away. And those of you who are on Facebook, you saw her tribute to her mother. Uh, and, you know, thank you all for your, your condolences. Uh, I posted on that post that she put up, but it was way late, so you guys may have missed it. But I said I actually owe Svetlana quite a debt of gratitude because I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I said if it weren't for her, her we wouldn't be together. Hang on just a second. I'm going to get, I'm not really disappearing. I'm just, I went downstairs for a minute. Okay. Uh, anyway, and so people ask about that. In fact, people ask a lot when they hear Victoria's accent and they realize it's not from West Virginia or Kentucky. That's, a, that's an odd accent. Uh, where is she from? And she found they found Ukraine. The next question is where, how in the world do you guys meet? You know, uh, that's 7,000 miles away. That's a long distance. And uh, so uh, I kind of want to talk about it a little bit because what happened was in my life, you know, I was, I was a single dad. I'd been through a divorce. Emily was living with me still. A- and uh, so it really impedes those of you who are single parents your dating life you really can't go out uh very much and and you know there's things required like babysitters and stuff just to even get out of the house and so i realized pretty quickly this was the very beginning sort of internet dating you know there are sites like match.com and things like that so i kind of had moved to that already anyway and then my job changed and i was traveling internationally for my com- company and i thought well let me expand my search because you know i'm going to be traveling that'd be kind of cool you know meet somebody from a different you know, country, uh, kind of exciting and romantic. So I thought, I'll do that. And so there was a website that I found, and you paid like 60 bucks. You got a profile on the website, you know, like all the, all the different matchmaker websites are. But as part of the deal, because it's an international website, they would take your personal ad and also put it in the local paper of like 10 different cities, and you got to pick. But this is really weird. I'll never forget this. They alphabetized the cities. They didn't group them by country. And like, these weren't like cities you've heard of, like Paris or Madrid. These were like little places that you've never heard of. And so I'm scrolling through, clicking off things kind of at random, kind of how I took every, you know, multiple choice test in school, you know, just kind of randomly clicking. And it turns out that one of the clicks was Kherson, Ukraine, which is where it turns out Victoria lived. Her mother saw the ad first. She liked my smile and uh, in the picture. And so she said, you have to write to him. And Victoria said, I'm not writing him. That's a waste of my time. And they argued, but uh, apparently uh, her mom was pushy, which I don't know how that happens. You know, just because she's pushy, Victoria's pushy, and Stas is pushy. I don't know. It's some kind of Ukrainian trait. But uh, her mom finally got away. They sat down together, and they actually wrote me the first letter. And I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, when I got the letter. As Ed Hinchy would later say, if you guys were any further apart, you would have been closer together. You know? But that was on March 11th, 2002, in December 21st, even though it's a date that doesn't get remembered around our house, uh, on, in 2002, we actually got married. And so it, it really was, you know, it really was what, uh, what her mother thought. And, and I give her a lot of credit for that. And, and I'm grateful for her sticking to her guns, even though Victoria didn't want to. Part of the reason why Victoria didn't want to is, this is kind of weird maybe, um, but most American men uh, who did this, you know, wrote to foreign women, uh, first of all, they were usually a lot older than I was. Uh, I was 41, I guess, 40, 41. Uh, they were usually much older than that. And second of all, never, never came. It was kind of a well-known thing that, you know, they'd write for a long while, get all your hopes up, and never show up. Uh, because you know, there's a cost to coming. There's no cost at all to dreaming. And, you know, you sit there, and you get these letters, and you get pictures, and you talk, and you start playing what-if in your mind, you know, and you're dreaming about it and fantasizing about it a little bit, what it would be like. 
but there is a there is a price to be paid if you want to actually see it happen and most people wouldn't pay that price to be honest uh, they would write and write get people's hopes up and never come and that was part of the reason why victoria said i'm not playing that stupid game you know i'm not doing that uh, but uh, I realized when I did it, because I was serious about it, you know, my, my grandfather, I guess, maybe started, he's a, he was a missionary, so I kind of have this, this in my family that we're not, you know, kind of other cultures interest us. And, and I always thought that'd be kind of neat, you know, to, to marry somebody. Originally, I was thinking, you know, Paris or, or Spain or something, but, you know, I wasn't thinking Ukraine. But when Victoria wrote me and we began to connect through the emails back and forth, I realized that if this was ever going to move from the, you know, dreaming phase because it was really easy for me you understand I'm, I'm in an apartment in the dallas fort worth area internet everywhere i have a laptop i could sit around my pjs on the couch writing her and dreaming about what it would be like you know if she came here but i realized that at some point i was going to have to get out of my pjs and i was going to have to get dressed and i'm going to have to get on a plane and i'm going to have to go there because that's the way it works there's no amazon you know prime for this you don't like order a wife press a button and two days later she shows up at your doorstep in a smiley box that's not how this works if you want to marry <laughs> a woman from another country you got to go there uh you, you really have to go there because you have to get through ins too they want to know that you went there and uh so you know i knew that was part of it and that was part of the that's part of the attraction in some ways because it was going to be an adventure it was going to be a difficult adventure in some ways and it certainly was going to a place where not only did I not speak the language, I couldn't even read the alphabet. You know, it's like, it's really weird when you first get there and you realize, wow, they don't even use the same letters we use. It's a completely different thing. Plus, I grew up, really came of age in the Reagan era. You know, that was the Soviet Union. That was the empire of evil I was going to. So, you know, I was heading out there for that. So it was a little bit um, frightening in some ways and a little bit exciting in other ways. But if I don't do this, this never happens. You know, we never meet, we never fall in love, we never get married, she never comes here. That doesn't happen. And uh, so I realized that going in. I wasn't going to be one of those guys that sits in his pajamas in his apartment dreaming about it. I realized I was going to get on a plane, and I was going to go. Now, I know that probably a lot of you are where my wife was last night when I'm in this story. You know, she's like, you know, okay, come on, get to the sermon. Could we stop talking, going down memory lane? But the joke's on you because the sermon started five minutes ago. I actually was thinking about this a lot this past week, and it kind of blended into the sermon in an interesting way because I believe that kind of where we are as a church, the church universal, and this church specifically, is a lot in this situation where we have decision to make about our relationship. Because you understand Christianity isn't just another religion. Jesus Christ did not come here to replace Judaism with a new religion. He didn't come here to just say, hey, okay, here's a new religion. Because what religion is, is just man's way of worshiping God. That's not really what Jesus Christ came to give us. And if you read what he says, he's clear about that. He says, I came that they might have abundant life, and I came that you might be called sons of God. He came here to reestablish a connection you were supposed to have with your creator. That's, how way, that's the way they designed the world. That's what it was supposed to be at the beginning. And he wants that. He wants to bring you in a new relationship or a new connection like a friend face-to-face, even more, like a, more than a friend, like a family member face-to-face. He wants you to call God dad. There's this whole thing that he brought about. And if you read what he says, he wasn't just giving a new new religion. He was giving a new relationship. He was restoring that, right? And so we kind of know that on some level. And we also know at some level, I think we all know that God's a spiritual being. He's not a natural being or or what we call physical being. He's, He's spiritual. He's not here physically. We can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't smell him. And he's not here physically, like we're all here physically. He's spiritual. We know that. You know, we all kind of have this idea, okay, yeah, sure, God's spiritual. We get that. 
So uh, I guess my, my question is, if we know that, and we know that Jesus came, and our whole religion is based on this idea, and he came to connect us with a spiritual being, my question is, how do you expect to have a relationship with a spiritual being while focusing your whole life on your physical world? Because I've kind of got this sense, as this series has gone on, that a lot of people are kind of out on it. And I appreciate you guys coming. There are some people who aren't even here because of the series. And the reason for it is this. That's a little out there. You're talking about prophecy and all that stuff. That's a little out there. You're kind of getting a little weird. And when we have a name like Spirit Chapel, people always think we're going to get weird anyway. That's one of my main questions I get asked. Like before I come to church, are you guys weird? Yeah, okay, not to us. <laughs> Seems normal to us. But you know, that's kind of a question I get a lot. And so when I start saying, we're going to preach on prophecy and God speaking and everything, you're starting to get a little bit nervous. And some people just aren't coming because of it. They're, they're nervous about it. And, and they would tell you, it's not that I don't like it. It's just I, I consider myself a well-grounded Christian. I'm kind of centrist. I'm not a out there on, the, on the, either one of the fringes. I'm centered, and uh, I just don't get into that side of it. It makes me a little bit, you know, a little bit queasy when you start getting out of there. It's a little bit weird. I don't want to get there. I was like, well, okay, then you tell me how do you expect to have a relationship with a spiritual being if you're only going to stay physical? How does that work exactly? To me, that's an awful lot of these guys sitting in their apartment dreaming about, fantasizing about, fantasizing about writing about, speaking about, because this happens in Christians. They talk about it. They get together and talk about it. They get online and talk about it. They go to church and talk about it. They think about it. They discuss it. They read about it. But they never have that connection. Like exactly how's that supposed to work? How, how can you, let me put it another way, how can you communicate with God if he's spiritual and you're physical if you're not willing to meet him where he is? See, that, that's what I'm trying to get across is that this is, this is probably, you know, I, I know a lot of people say, I really prefer the kind of life application sermons where you take something for the Bible and you show me how it affects my life, right? That's what I really want. But that's your life here, right? That's your life here, your physical life. You understand that's temporary. That's going to fade. It's going to go away. And, and look, we pray for healings and miracles, but you understand every miracle God does in our lives is temporary, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's all right that we do. It, it's, it's okay, but we want that, right? We, we say, here's what I want. I don't want to meet God where he lives. I want him to meet me where I live. That'd be like me saying, well, Victoria, if you can somehow get over here to America, America, I'll marry you, right? It doesn't work that way. We have to meet halfway. At least we have to kind of get there because God's a spiritual being. But what we want is him to bring his supernatural power in our lives when we need it to fix our lives right here because this is all we're focused on, this life. Later on, I'll go to heaven, and then we'll be together. But right now, I want you to fix my life. So we pray for jobs. We pray for houses. We pray for healings of diseases and cancer and knees. We want God's power here, but we're really not wanting that relationship. Because in order to do that, we kind of sense we're going to have to leave our comfort zone. And we're going to have to say, you know what? A spiritual God is going to require a spiritual act on my part to really connect with him. Or else... What we have is we have somebody we never communicate with who we call our God. Not really. I mean, I, okay, I know we pray, but come on. There are, I'm not kidding you. There are people here in this place who spent more time talking to the other drivers on the road this week than God. <laughs> not that they could hear you and not that you were saying anything nice to them, but you were talking to other drivers on the road more than we're talking to God. And, and if we look at our prayers, I mean, I'm going to put myself in this list. What does it look like? They start off with something you learned in church, some kind of flowery, oh, Heavenly Father, gracious, whatever. You start your prayer with, you know, our dear Heavenly Father, 
maker of heaven and earth, you know, whatever, Alpha and Omega, whatever, nice flowery start. And then as soon as we're done with that, we go straight into, and here's my to-do list. I need the things you need to do for me today. Here's the problems in my life I need you to take care of. And then we end it with, in Jesus' name, amen. What kind of communication is that? That's not talking with God. That's talking at God. That's not really communication at all. Yeah, Victoria and I, we do, um, we do mar- premarital counseling. We actually do marital counseling too. It doesn't happen as often. The reason premarital counseling happens is because we won't marry people unless we do it. And so they realize they have to meet with us. Marital counseling is a little bit different. No one has to come to us for marital counseling. And I know for a fact uh, that I'm not really a first choice for people when they have pr- problems in their marriage. I'm usually the threat. I can tell because this has happened. You know, we've been here for five, six years now, and I've, I've had it happen, and I know what's going on. There's a fight going on someplace in the, you know, somebody in the, in the, in the community is having a fight. And at, at, at some point, the wife or the husband throws out the other one. Well, you don't even care about this marriage. You know, I care about it. I'll make an appointment with that pastor right now. You know, and it's, it becomes a threat. I know I'm, I'm like the 911, right? So I'll pick up the phone. I'll call the pastor right now. You go ahead and pick up the phone. You go ahead and call. I am. I'm down the phone. I'm down the phone. Okay, you do that. And then it rings twice and I hang up because I can't tell you how many times that happens to my phone. It rings twice, hangs up. Or I'll get a message like 1.30 in the morning on Facebook you know, really, my, my, my wife and I, or my, my husband and I really need to talk to you, right? And then you, you know, I won't get it until the next day, and I'll say, oh, and I'll send him back, what do you need to talk about? When you, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have sent that message, or I'm sorry, I butt-dialed you. It's like, all of a sudden it goes away, because I'm just a threat. But every now and then, actually, the threat goes through, and we actually meet with them. And then sometimes you get these situations where the husband and the wife come in, and they're not talking. Yeah, you can tell, right? They come in, they sit down at the table, and one sits on one side, and the other one sits on the other and I'm talking about a cross each other. I mean, on the ends, right? like five, six feet apart. And they're not talking at all. And you know, oh boy, we got a problem here. Because we have a real problem if they won't speak. If there's no communication, if they're yelling at each other, there's hope. But if they're not talking to each other, there's no way we're going to fix this relationship. You know, you try. Uh, I see you guys aren't speaking. You say to the husband, maybe you could tell us a little bit why. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. If I told you, I'd probably be wrong anyway, so why don't you ask the woman who knows everything, you know, and that's how these fights go, right? And it always goes on like that. And I go, oh boy, we've got a problem. I look at Victoria, and like, we'll roll our eyes. We've got a real problem here because there's no communication at all. That's a problem. Do you have communication with God? Do you really? Are you talking to him, with him? Is he speaking to you? Because I've got to tell you something. If you never communicate with God, you don't have a God. You have an imaginary friend. And that's really kind of the way I think a lot of Christians are. If they really were to parse it down and say, this is really my life, their life is they have an imaginary friend. They can't prove he's here. They don't feel him. They believe in him because of something they read. But they don't have any kind of a relationship with him at all. And that's not what God says he wants. He wants a relationship with you. And you simply can't have that relationship if everything has to be physical because he's a spiritual being. He is, and that's what we see. But what we end up with is we end up with this momentum of mediocrity. We kind of fill in this life, and we have God where we want him, and we have this religion. We've replaced one religion with another, and we have this religion that we follow, and I don't care what church you go to. There are steps you go through. There are certain things you do, and that's it. And I have defined what my religion is with God, but not my relationship with God because he defines that, not us. So I am actually kind of using a word here for you, conflating two things. And I want to separate them for just a second because I'm talking about God speaking to you and that actually takes up two different things. And we've been talking about prophecy, but this is actually two things. There's revelation and there's prophecy. But they're very, very similar. The only difference between revelation and prophecy is revelation is God speaking to you for your sake and prophecy is God speaking to you for another's sake. It's the only difference. 
But they all both start with this idea that God speaks to you. And we've got to get to the point where we not only have that, we want it. And I don't think we're there in a lot of ways. I don't think we're there. And we have to get there. Remember this verse, we, I think we talked about this the first week, this verse that Paul talks about when he's, he's talking to, to people in Corinthians. He writes this letter. He says, you know what? You've been babies. I, I met you. You're just babies. And, and you should be grown up by now, but you're still babies. I still can't tell you what you really need to hear because you're just babies. And what he tells them, how he knows they're babies, is because they're living for the flesh, he calls it. But that's just another way of saying they're living for the physical world. That's all, that's all he's saying. You're living entirely in the physical world for the physical world. That's all you care about, physical. Everything's physical to you. How can God change my physical world? That's the God I want. And he says, you're just babies. Is that how you start? But you should be growing up by now. So where do we grow up? I even made a comment that I said, wouldn't it be nice if we had a letter to the church that grew up? Well, we don't really have that letter. But in the book of Romans, we see this one little thing. And Paul does this, man. He, he packs his words with such dense imagery and, 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 and concept. You really have to pick them apart. So let me pick this verse apart because I came across this this week. It's Romans 8, 14. He says this, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Sons, not babies. He's actually called them, he's actually called them grown-ups. These are the sons of God, he says. Not the babies. These are the sons of God. And here's the difference. They're led by the Spirit. You can't do that in the physical. You've got to have your spirit led by their spirit. We have to reach beyond the comfort zone of our physical nature into our spiritual nature in order to have the spirit lead us. He says, this is how you grow up. This is how you stop being babies. You have to be able to do that because babies just respond to whatever's going on in their world. You ever watch the baby? They're hungry, they're wet, they're whatever. They just start crying, you know, that's what babies do. And they giggle too. They don't just cry. They also laugh. Parents, <laughs> it'd be hard to get through babyhood if they never laughed, right? That laugh counts for a lot when they're laughing. And, and so there's that. But grown-ups, they don't, the grown-ups that the Paul's talking about, they don't respond to the world, they respond to God. It doesn't matter what the world's doing or saying or the stimuli in the world or how bad your situation is, we're still responding to God. Here's what I want to try to get to you, because we know that God's supernatural for us. You know, for God, he's just natural. <laughs> there is no supernatural natural to God. There's just natural. But to us, when God does things, it's supernatural. But speaking to you is not a supernatural act. It's what he wants. It's like, this should be natural. This should be normal for God to speak to you. This is, goes through, you pick up the book of the Bible, start in Genesis and go to Revelation. He's speaking all the way through it to his people. Always. In the Old Testament, he speaks to David. You know, he's a king. He speaks to him. He speaks, he speaks through the prophets, but he also speaks to normal people. You know, when, when he comes to Gideon, Gideon's a nobody. He speaks to everybody. He's constantly speaking. He speaks to people who don't even believe. He speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, who's an evil king. He speaks to him. He speaks to Nahum through his servants, th- who, are, who are godly people. He's always trying to reach out and speak to people throughout the Bible, all the way into the book of Revelation. The whole book of Revelation, by the way, is speaking to us through Revelation, prophecy. He actually calls it a book of prophecy. So from Genesis to the end, that's very, very, very natural. If you're not hearing from God, it's not his fault. You know, when people come into our, and we counsel marriage couples, you know, and we never try to lay all the blame at one place, which by the way is why they come in. They really want, you know, the husband wants us to tell the wife it's all her fault. The wife wants us to tell the husband it's all his fault. That's what they're hoping for, right? And we're very careful not to do that because in every fight, there's always two sides to the story. And, you know, there's you know, maybe a 90-10, but, um, you know, usually it's closer to 50-50, really. And you have to kind of look at that. But not this case. 
If I'm counseling you and God and you're saying, well, he never speaks to me, let me tell you, it's all your fault because he's trying to. He's continually trying to speak to you. And what happens is we've put up barriers that keep him from speaking to us. I really honestly believe that having God speak to you is just a matter of removing your barriers and you'll hear from him. You might not even have to remove all of them because God wants to speak to you. He wants to. He wants to lead you by the spirit. He wants to do that. And that's what we need to get to. So let me go through five real quick ones and we'll be done. Five reasons, five ways that you are keeping the Spirit of God from speaking to you. Number one, we've kind of talked about apathy. I really don't care. I just want to live my life. I I actually don't want God bugging me. I'm cool if he doesn't speak to me. That kind of weirds me out. In the book of James, he says this, you desire, but you don't have. You do not have because you do not ask. That's why. You want to know why? You're not asking. This shouldn't surprise you. James' brother, we know him. His name is Jesus. Jesus puts it this way. He said, look, I say to you, ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Famous verse. We learned this in Sunday school, some of us. There's a song we learned as kids about that. He goes on. It's for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, this is a famous verse, right? It's always used by word of faith preachers to tell you that God wants to give you that new sports car or the new house, or the swimming pool, whatever. You know, they're always using this. But I want, you to show, I want to show this in context of how Jesus uses this. Because he goes from there saying, look, here's it simple. Same thing James says later. You ask, God gives. And then he says this. Look, suppose one of you is asked by your son for a fish. Would you give him a snake? Who would do that? Your child asks you for a, for a fish? Here, oops, it's a snake. Ha ha, psych. You know, what's a cobra? Catch, you know. Would you do that? He says, he goes on, he says, if he asks for an egg, you're going to give him a scorpion? You know, this is Jesus making that big, big thing. But, but show, let me show you where he goes from this. He goes, okay, if you being evil, it's like you think you're a good dad, but you're not really a good dad. We make mistakes. You're kind of, you're evil. You don't know good from bad. You're kind of always selfish. And if that's you and you can give your children good things, which parents do, and you can watch the most rotten guy in the world, he becomes a father and he wants to give his kid good things, right? So he says, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly father, who's perfect and good, give, watch this, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, he was never talking about a sports car. He was always talking about the gift that matters, the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, if you seek the Holy Spirit, if you knock on heaven's door and say, I want the Holy Spirit, God will give it to you. He will. He says he's ready to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. The only reason you don't have it is you're not doing this. God will give you good gifts. He said you can count on that. Number two, number two reason that uh, the Spirit's not speaking is because of pride. Because some people do want God to speak because they want everybody's sins revealed to them so they can tell them what they are. <laughs> That's what I want. I want to walk around. I want to point my finger at people, and I want to tell you what your sins are and how you need to repent. So I can just be a bigwig. And, and actually, um, I've talked to some people that their, their whole service was that. There are some churches that that's kind of what happens. They all get into the spirit, and the pastor walks around telling everybody what's wrong with them, telling them what all their sins are. And uh, this is absolutely not the purpose of it, but people want that. They want to have that power in them, you know. And, and in Corinthians, Paul's saying, look, he says, you're no different from anybody else, okay? Anything you have, you received as a gift, he gave it, God gave you that gift. It's a gift. So why are you acting like you did something to earn it? It's just a gift. 
It's a gift that was given to you. It doesn't make you special. You should be thankful that God gave you the gift. That's all. Don't brag about how great you are because you have the gift. I mean, we see that all the time, right? We see people who think they're better than you because of the car they drive. So you bought a car. It doesn't make you better. Right? We know that. We understand that that doesn't change the person and doesn't make a bad person good. Sometimes it makes a good person bad, but that's a different story. But we understand that. That's what Paul's saying. He says, look, the gift of the Spirit is given to you, and it's given to you for a purpose that's to help someone else. Why are you bragging about it? And if you remember back in the book of Acts, when the Simon the sorcerer is watching them give the Holy Spirit, he says, I want that. Not the Holy Spirit. No, no, he didn't want the Holy Spirit. He wanted to give the Holy Spirit because he saw the way people came to Peter and they were so in awe of what was happening. He says, I want to be like him. He didn't understand who Peter was. He didn't understand the heart of Peter where he was a servant handing out gifts from the Holy Spirit. Peter wasn't anybody special. He was just the person handing the gifts out. God was giving the gifts. He was just one handing them out. And so he comes, he says, I'll give you money if you let me do that. I'll give you money. And Peter says, you know what? You're not getting this at all. He says, you have neither part nor portion in this ministry. He says, you're not any part of this at all. Like I said, when we preach on this the first time, it's like you draw a Venn diagram and one circle's over here, one circle's over here. There's no intersection, just two circles. He says, there's nothing here about you, nothing part of it. He says, repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart will be forgiven. Because Peter sees in the heart with the gift of the Holy Spirit, he sees his heart. He says, you better pray that your heart is forgiven because the reason you want this is because you want to be a big, special person in the eyes of the people. And that's not the purpose of the gifts. God's not going to give his gift to people who are prideful. He says, if I see, in fact, you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by sin. There are a lot of people who are very, very bitter at life, and they want the Holy Spirit so they can show people how good they are. God is not going to give you the Holy Spirit if you just want to use it to, to, to suit your pride, and number three, or for selfish reasons. For selfish reasons, which is very similar, actually, to pride, but it's a little bit different. Pride, you puff yourself up. Selfishness is you actually want to use the gifts to benefit yourself. Uh, I told this story last night. People couldn't believe it. But shortly before Spirit Chapel opened, um, we went to see a prophet come to another church. We got a thing in an email. Come. It was like Barnum and Bailey, like P.T. Barnum put together an ad. It was like, come see the prophet, you know, have him prophesy good things of you. I thought, wow, they're guaranteeing that, you know, they're guaranteeing the prophet of God's going to come and, and prophesy good things over us. Well, who, who wants to resist that? You know, so we went, we were curious, you know, um, it was, it was kind of painful to watch because I could tell like what Peter said, there was no part or portion because I, I actually met with the pastor later. I was asking him about that, you know, what in the world was going on? And uh, he said something that I actually think was really theologically wrong. One of the reasons we left, because we're thinking about joining the church. This is before we started Spirit Chapel. One of the reasons we didn't was because of what he said. He goes, yeah, I know it's a little bit out there, but I think it'd be rather to have strange fire than no fire at all. I'm like, whoa, that's a little bit dangerous. Because if you remember strange fire, God, God uh, actually killed the people for having embraced strange fire. So we go, okay, well, if you feel that way, we're leaving. But before that conversation, he also told me that they paid him $5,000 to come and prophesy over the people. Like, wow, I didn't know what the, I didn't know, how, I didn't know you could sell God's gifts. That was news to me. I, I didn't know that. Uh, but if you try to use it for a, for a special, for your selfish reasons, God's not going to give it to you. And believe me, that guy was not prophesying God's word. Um, I thought he got, I think he got fairly good at cold reading. Uh, but several times in his little prophecies, he was wrong. So it was really, um, we should have taken him out and stoned him. But anyway, uh, in James, you know, when it I showed this part of this verse before. Let me show you the rest of it. You desire, don't have. You fight and war. You don't have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive 
because you ask with wrong motives that you may use it for your evil desires. God's not going to give you the gift of prophecy or the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom or the gift of healing for you to simply use it for your own selfish reasons. Number four, uh, disobedience. Now, I don't mean necessarily here that God will not speak to you if you have sin in your life. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about disobedience. I'm talking about disobedience to the exact thing he told you to do. We cannot just be disobedient to what he told us to do and expect him to keep telling us. We see this show up, and one of my favorite uh, examples of this is in 1 Samuel. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, actually, believe it or not. The setup is Saul's the king. The Holy Spirit has actually come upon Saul at one point in time, but it has departed because he turned evil. And so uh, he's, he's fighting a battle, and he needs everybody with him, and so he's going to offer a sacrifice. Now, he's the king, and he's not allowed to offer sacrifices. That's the priest's job. And there is a priest in the land. His name is Samuel. In fact, Samuel is the one who anointed him king. So he, he, he doesn't even send for Samuel. They wait. He expects Samuel to simply show up, and he doesn't. And so he says, never mind, give me that funny hat the priests wear, and I'll do it. He just, you know, takes it over, puts the mantle on. He says, I'm the priest now, and he does the sacrifice anyway. He's not allowed to do that. It is actually for this reason that God will take the kingdom of Israel from him and give it to David because of this. Because he overstepped his bounds. He just acted, you know, all puffed up and all full of himself. And so I'm going to do it. So when that happens, that's when God actually sends Samuel, and Samuel does show up. And uh, he was basically saying, you disobeyed God. And then you really disobeyed God by doing what you're not allowed to doing. And Saul says, but look at all the money I've given him. Now, it's not money, right? Because in those days, it was animal sacrifices and offerings. But he says, look at the sacrifices and the offerings I gave him. You know, look at that. Anything I did surely is going to be forgiven because look what I gave the church, right? And, and there's a lot of people who still believe that today. If I really screwed up big time, it's, you know, send a donation to the church and everything will be okay. And unfortunately, there are churches that kind of teach you that, but that's not God's work. And, and Samuel says this, he goes, what, do you think the Lord delights in offerings? You think that's what this is all about, this relationship? He wants your money? He says, no, obeying the voice of the Lord is what he's after. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed, heed means to hear and to listen to. It's not a word we use very much anymore. Actually, my mom used to use it, heed me. Like, you know, old King James, what I can tell you. But that actually means to listen to and to obey. That's what heed means. To heed is better than fatter rams. Fatter rams was the best sacrifice they could offer. So he says, to obey is better than any sacrifice, and to listen to the Lord is better than the greatest sacrifice and offering you could give. Now, I want you to look at the next verses, because this is kind of frightening. For rebellion is like witchcraft. And stubbornness is like idolatry. See, I think we'll all admit sometimes I'm a little stubborn. Yeah, God, I know I'm a little stubborn. I know you're trying to get me to do this, but I'm a little bit stubborn. And we just think that's no big deal, right? I'm a little bit stubborn. That's who I am. God says, yeah, you know how I see stubbornness? It's idolatry. Because what you've done is you've taken yourself and put it on the throne. Because you know what God wanted you to do, and you said, no, I'm not doing it. That says, God, you're not on the throne of my life. I am. That's idolatry. You've put another God before me. It happens to be yourself. And rebellion is like witchcraft. It's like rebellion means I know what you want me to do. I'm going to try to accomplish what you want to do my ways. Because that's basically witchcraft. That's exactly what witchcraft is. See, we don't normally look at our sins in those lights. When I'm a little stubborn and God's trying to get me to do something, I'm just a little bit stubborn. Hey, you love me, God. That's who I am. He says, that's idolatry. Get it out of your life. 
The other thing is that sometimes he will tell us something and we just won't do it because it seems so insignificant. It's so small. Why would that matter? I've got these real problems in my life. I ask God what he wants me to do. He gives me this stupid little thing to do. I'm not doing that. That's not going to make a difference. I would need an answer to my prayer. And God's saying, I need you to do this. And we're saying, I need you to answer our prayer. And we're stubborn. I've done it. I do it all the time. I know what God wants me to do, but it's so stupid. I'm not doing that. That has nothing to do with this. It doesn't matter because God's given you a word. He's given you his voice. He's told you what to do, and you're saying, I'm not doing it. It doesn't matter how small it is. I'm not doing it. But see, Jesus put it this way. Everyone who has, to everyone who has, more shall be given. So understand that hearing from the Lord is a gift. And I have it, and more is going to be given, right? Until I have an abundance. By the way, I've seen these stupid, stupid things. Can I just say once and for all, Jesus was not a communist? This is like the opposite of communism. This is like the absolute opposite. The rich get richer is what he's saying. If you have, you have an abundance. And for the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. That's what he says. This is Jesus Christ talking. Here's how it works with the gifts of God. You have and you get more. And if you don't have, even that gets taken away. Why? Because God is merciful. Because you are held accountable to what you have. That's why. He also says over in Luke this. He who is faithful in little thing is faithful in much. And he who is unrighteous in little things will be unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteousness, wealth, I'm not going to give you real stuff, the true riches. See, he's saying, I gave you a little thing to do, and you didn't do it. So now you want me to give you a big thing? Why? So you cannot do that too? You're actually being held accountable for what you have. That's what he says. If you have a lot, I expect a lot out of you. And if you don't have a lot, I don't expect a lot out of you. You really want a lot? You're not doing anything with it. You really want that? Because that's judgment. Because he's going to say, I gave you all this and you didn't do anything with it. This is what, this is what the master comes in the, in the parable of the talents. I gave it to you, you did nothing. Why, why would I give you more? In his, in his mercy, God hold, withholds if you're not obeying. If he tells you this simple little tiny thing and you're not doing it, don't expect him to say the next thing. You haven't done the first thing. He's already given you a command and you've disobeyed it. Why, why would he let you add to that? That's not good for you. He's not doing it out of spite. He's doing it out of love. I've told this story before. I'm going to do a very brief version of it. But sure, before we opened Spirit Chapel, before we even wanted to open Spirit Chapel, while I was still resisting the very idea of opening Spirit Chapel, God called me uh, and was really kind of speaking to my spirit about uh, the, the church I was in at the time. Uh, to, to take a message. And I, I misunderstood what God was saying. This, this happens. At first, I thought he was calling me to bring change to the church. But he wasn't because it wasn't my church. I couldn't bring change to it. So I and a lot of people with us, we tried. We tried to bring change to the church. It did not work. And so then I thought, well, okay, and that didn't work. Uh, I guess I need to tell them what they're doing wrong. You know, I'm the prophet. The God's still going to send me, and I'm going to tell them. I have a plan. Here's what, everything you're doing wrong, and it'll, you know, they'll get enlightened, repent, and everything will be great. You know, I'm the Elijah. Here I go. And so I actually made an appointment to meet with, this, with the head of the churches. The, they have a whole committee, and I was going to meet with all of them and basically give them God's message to them on how, how he wants to change the church, right? That, that meeting that I had scheduled three times got canceled three times. Like, okay, God, I'm out. I've tried, done what you told me to do, can't do it, I'm done, I'm going to shake the dust off my sandals, and I'm heading to Cranberry. Some of you know that story. 
he actually, I was coming home one day and he, he kind of jumped in. This is one of the few times in my life that God actually kind of jumped in my thoughts. And I'm driving along thinking about something else and all of a sudden he was there. And um, if I was to sum up everything he said, it was a very short conversation, about a minute and a half. Um, if I summed up everything he said, what he basically said was, I told you to tell them, tell them. Not them, him. Basically, he was saying, I need you to tell the pastor what I've told you. I said, okay, well, I don't know why. It makes no sense to me. I'll do it. So I made an appointment, got it right away. No problem at all. I mean, I called up thinking it'd take a week or something. Oh, you want to come in today? I guess. So I go in, and here was a weird thing. So Victoria's been praying about this, and she's, you know, if God's speaking, it must be something really dramatic, right? And I go there, and I deliver the message, and I find out he knew everything I was saying. He read the same books I'd read. It's like, he knows everything I know. What am I doing here? It makes no sense at all that God would actually interrupt my travels, speak to me, and tell me to have this meeting, and I go there, and he knows everything I know already. And so I'm leaving, and Victoria says, how'd the meeting go? I said, it was weird. I thought I was going to be the great change agent for God, and I wasn't. Then I thought I was going to be the the prophet Elijah, you know, thus saith the Lord, and I wasn't. All I was was confirmation of what he already knew. That's all. It's such a small, insignificant little thing. Why did God bother? He ignored me anyway. Why did God bother? Well, there's a lot of reasons that God does what he does, but I believe one of them was, how in the world was he going to trust me with the pulpit of Spirit Chapel if he couldn't trust me to deliver his little messages? See, what, what you're faithful for in a little, he can make you faithful over in a lot. I, I don't believe I'd be the pastor of Spirit Chapel if I would have said no to that because he was saying, can I trust you to deliver my message even when it doesn't make sense to you? Can I trust you with that? Because if not, there's a lot of messages I don't want to trust you with. And so this is what we have to understand, that our disobedience is a little thing is keeping us from the next step in our life. Finally, and I know I'm kind of running late, fear. And there's two kinds of fear. One is you're afraid of the Lord because he's powerful and he's great. And we see that, I talked about this in the Exodus chapter, when Moses comes down the Ten Commandments and the thunder and lightning, the people say, whoa, we don't want to go anywhere near there. You go talk to Moses and come back and tell us what he says. Now, that's a fear of the Lord, and that's a real thing. And the funny thing was, you know, that when, when I talked about this conversation and God popped in for a minute and a half, there was, it happened on Lovedale Road. I know the exact spot it happened. The next time I was driving by Lovedale Road, I actually went like this, you know, because I was afraid he was going to speak to me again. It wasn't it was painful. I actually enjoyed the experience. I was emotional. I was crying when it was over and everything because I get weepy when God speaks. But it wasn't unpleasant. He didn't yell at me or anything. You know, he didn't condemn me. It was very pleasant. But God's scary. And when you realize that there, there's a living God who knows everything, uh, who wants to speak to you, it's a little scary. You need to kind of get over that. But that's not really the fear I'm talking about here. The fear that I'm talking about is the fear that we don't want to hear God speak because we're afraid of what he might say to us. And that comes up in John 3. This is the truth, John writes. The light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Truth of the matter is, We don't necessarily want God speaking to us because we want our sin to stay our sin. And we mistakenly believe it's hidden. (laughs) My God doesn't know. And I don't want him speaking to me because I'm afraid he's going to tell me about that sin that I know is there and he knows there. And the reality is I don't want to just hide it. I want to continue in it because I kind of like that sin. And so I'd rather stay in the physical world and not be accountable to a spiritual God because in the physical world I got my sin under control or so we think. And it goes on. He's very specific here. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. 
a lot of times we just don't want God speaking to us because we are afraid. We know what he's going to say. And if we're going to have a relationship with the spiritual God, we've got to get past that. He probably will say some things. And he's going to help you gently because the Holy Spirit is gentle to get rid of it until we can finally walk forward. What is keeping you from hearing the voice of God? It's the most critical thing. Next, we're going to talk about actually hearing it. But if you don't get this stuff out of your life, you'll never hear from God. We have to break down the barriers so that God can speak to us again. Or else we just have an imaginary friend that we pretend we serve, but we really don't. Because what he has told you is he wants a relationship with you. And what you're telling him is, no, I don't want that. Finish up with this verse. The grass withers, the flowers will fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. We need the word of God in our lives. Would you all please pray with me?